All right, so today for the Bible reading, we're going to read from Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, uh, 1 to 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labor, at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come, will not be remembered by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good evening, church. It's really, really nice to be back here. I think I've spoken for about a year. Um, so, yeah, it's a really good, it's a real privilege to be here. So, thanks for that. I, I love doing it. Um, I'm, I'm in love with Netflix and Stan. I've got both, actually. So, I pay like that $20 a month, and, and it's totally worth it. And um, I'm, I'm totally into old movies, actually. And one came up uh, a little while ago called Cool Hand Luke. Now, I don't think anybody's heard of that, but put your hand up if you know who Cool, cool Hand Luke. It's awesome. There's like five of you. This morning, it was like 150, but that's um, <laughs> the Cool Hand Luke, and it's got a guy called Paul Newman in it, and um, my mum actually suggested I watch it. She goes, he's very handsome. You'll like it. And I was like, thanks, mum. Great suggestion. <laughs> I'll watch it. She goes, don't look into his eyes. They're so blue. And I was like, all right, I won't look into his eyes. And uh, it tells the story, Cool Hand Luke, Paul Newman. He's in prison now, unfortunately, and there's a lot of magic scenes, but there's one scene, it just, it just kills me. It just kills me. And it's a scene where he's been busted, he's actually got chains around his feet, so he, he can't walk very far. And um, he's just standing outside, waiting his punishment, and uh, he's, he's, his boss, he's, his sergeant, he's looking at a piece of dirt, he's, he's chewing something, he's got a brown jacket, brown akubra. Whiskey or coffee in his hand, you can't tell. And he goes, see that land? That's your dirt, Luke, and your dirt's in the boss's land. You better get that out. He's like, yes, boss. How much? He goes, up to here, above your head. So he, he digs, and he digs, and he digs. It's morning at this stage. He digs. It gets waist deep. Midday sun comes. The beads of sweat run down. It's boiling hot. Everybody else is in the shade. But he's digging deeper and deeper. It takes him all afternoon. It's gone from yellow to orange to pink. Digging, digging, shoveling out. It's dark. It's above his head. A new sergeant comes over. And he goes, what's that dirt doing on my land? Put it back in. And he goes, Duh. climbs out with his chains, 
digs, digs, scoops, digs, digs, digs. Morning comes up, the bright new dawn, digs, digs, done. The old sergeant comes back. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you to get your dirt out of the boss's land? Yes, boss. Dig a hole again. Digs. Digs. And the scene goes for 4 minutes 53. And it goes over and 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 over. And this is killing me right now too, doing this to you. And you can just tell Paul Newman's weary. I'm weary watching it. Repeated over and over and over. And life can be like that, can't it? Same old, over and over and over. If you're a school student or a uni student, there's no such thing as your assessment is done and you have none due. You always, you do one, I've done it, now do the next one. And they keep coming over and over. If you're a worker, the alarm goes off. Wake up, breakfast, shower, check email, commute, I'm already tired. Finish the day at work. (laughs) Commute back, check email again. Dinner, half hour of Netflix, bed, wake up, shower, breakfast, email, I'm flogged, commute. Work, commute back, check email, eat, watch Netflix again, sleep, next day, wake up, oh my gosh, over and over and over. It just never ends. And you get weary, don't you? I've got friends who have not been still married for a year or two. I'm at an age and stage of life, I've got friends who have been married for 10, 15 years, and some of them say, We're growing weary and we're in a rut in our marriage. I know people who are single and they go, the singleness just goes over and over and over. I have a friend, he had his third kid and at six months old, when the the child is, you know, the the youngest child is, is six months, he looks at me with eyes that haven't slept for four years and he says to me, I would just love to watch Seriously, a DVD, and I was like, those don't exist anymore. He goes, oh, whatever. (laughs) I don't care. Just a two-hour movie uninterrupted. I went, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. He goes, it never stops. And I went, I'm sure it stops. And then he seriously grabbed me by my shirt and pulled me in. And he was an inch away from my face. And I'm just like, and he goes, it never stops. (laughs) Over and over and over. Life gets weary. We have no time. Busy. Weary. And perhaps even when you do have time, my nan's a beautiful lady. She's 94, turning 95 in October. And uh, unfortunately, her husband, my pop, passed away two years ago. And her day consists of waking up at 10.30, having brekkie at 11. She hangs out the washing if she can. If not, she waits for my mum to come and do it at lunchtime. My mum works and gives her lunch every day. Then she has a nap after lunch because she's flogged. Then she reads a Mills and Boone's novel because that's her thing. If you don't know what that is, don't bother. (laughs) 
has another nap because she's tired, switches on some afternoon football if it's around, dinner with mum, switches on television again in bed by 9.30 and gets her 13 hours sleep, repeats. She misses her husband dearly. She's got all the time in the world and life for her is weary. And for the last two years, she goes, I'd be happy just to have my life over because I can't deal with the weariness. It's bleak, isn't it? But I think you all know what we're talking about. The ruts, the repetition, the weariness. Over the next four weeks, Dr. Kit Barker and I, he's a doctor, make sure you know that, (laughs) are going to try and answer this question. How do we navigate our way through the weariness? Because we all feel it. Sometimes more than others, but we will and we do. How do we navigate our way through the weariness? And, And the book of Ecclesiastes He addresses it. It's awesome. He looks so depressing. Did you hear that Bible reading? I'm like, cheer up, champ. It's okay. But maybe you think he's horribly depressing or perhaps he's he's beautifully real. And we're going to hit it. We're going to hit it. And I look forward to it over the next week. Two, three, and four. I'm going to pray and then, uh, then we'll get into it and try to answer that question of how to navigate our way through the weariness of life. Heavenly Father, thanks that we can gather on a Sunday night in a church that's not built by us, in the safety of Australia, to gather around your word. Whatever we've got going on in our world right now, may your spirit bring us to this place and unite us. We feel weary sometimes, Lord, and we don't want to be. We don't want to go through life like this. So be with us and provide us answers that don't just answer intellectual questions, but are deep truths in our hearts as we walk out of here, change people. Amen. All right, simple tonight. We're going to look at two things. That's it. We're going to look at this guy, Ecclesiastes, and how he sets it up. He's got a lot of things to say about life. And we're going to go pretty heavy in the second part on just practical application. You're going to have to have your Bibles open at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's think about who we're talking about. His name is not Ecclesiastes. So chapter 1, verse 1, that's where we're at. And it begins like this. We've heard it read already, but here we go again. It says this, in my version, the NIV, the words of the teacher... Son of David, king in Jerusalem. Who does that sound like? Solomon, you got it, yeah, fair call. Son of David, that sounds like Solomon, he's a king, sounds like Solomon. It doesn't say which son of David though. Maybe, maybe not. The word teacher there, sometimes it's preacher. If you have a little, little note at the bottom of your Bible, it might say a leader of assembly or something like that. The Hebrew name, and it's a, it's a funny one, begins with Q, is Kohelet. And I'm going to refer to, to this person, this teacher, by the name Kohelet from now on, and Kit probably, probably will as well. But we don't know who's talking exactly, but it's some sort of kingly figure who knows wealth and power. It sounds like someone, as we go in at the end of his reign, so somebody older, and I love listening to people who are older, they always know things that we don't, we can learn from their mistakes, but he's a mysterious figure, and perhaps he's worth listening to. We don't know, but it does seem like a Solomon-like character. Maybe Solomon, but maybe not. And, and what's he on about? And I've got to say, this is like probably the most depressing opening line of anything I've ever seen. Check it. Verse 2, chapter 1. Meaningless, meaningless, says Kehelet. 
utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I'm like, oh, this should be good. <laughs> Drama. It's a funny word, that one, meaningless. What are you getting at? Nothing has meaning? That word in Hebrew is horrible to translate. You can't sum it up in one word. And translators have been trying to do it for years, but there's nothing perfect. But the Hebrew word is, is havel. And it literally means something like this. <sighs> breath or a mist. Where a breath is <sighs> here one minute and gone the next. A mist. There it is, I see it. Oh, it's gone. It's over. It's so temporary, transient. But that's not the only thing about mist. See, if you try to go, I'll go get that mist. There it is. Got it. It's gone. It's gone. You can try and hold on to it, but you can't grab it. You can't grasp it. And that's this word, breath, mist. And in life, it's temporary. But a breath over and out. And it's also hard to comprehend. I love the word it's it, enigma. He goes, life is enigmatic. You, n- you never get it. You think you do, and just when you think you do, it's over. <laughs> you don't. If you're married, you think, I understand my spouse completely. And four minutes later, you go, I don't know who you are. <laughs> you think you understand work and work-life balance. And then all of a sudden, you go, I've got no idea how I'm living. We think we understand the word, world, understand politics, understand. I go, we know who the next US president will be. And all of a sudden, are you serious? <laughs> I don't understand. Life. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? You think you've got it, but you don't. And that's his word. Havel, Havel, says Gehelen. Utterly Havel. Everything is Havel. Hmm, maybe a little bit better. He's going to set up this concept here, and he says this poem, and he's got... I, 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 didn't, I didn't believe this when I first read it, and maybe you don't either, because if you have a look at my arm right now, this is what I actually thought, that when you think about life, it's like this linear line that diagonally points up. And then as, as, you, as you start, you, you move up the line, and you, you grow in life, and you change, and you, you prevent, pro- progress, and you gain, and you move forward. But this guy goes, please, life's not like that at all. Let's see if he's right. Let's check out what he says. Verse 3. This will come in later. Verse 3. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? And here we go. Verse 4. Generations come, here they are, and generations go. Ah, but the earth remains forever. Coming, going. Verse 5. The sun rises, sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. Hmm, okay, pattern, maybe. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south, and the wind turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea. Yay. The sea is never full. What? So the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. 
What if life isn't in one linear line where we're always moving forward, trying to gain and progress? But what if life is like that poem? Did you pick up on the pattern? Round and round, cycle after cycle, cycles within cycles, season after season. And the earth remains the same. You won't change it. No real imprint. There are two ways that we can navigate navigate ourselves through this. And I think we all know that life comes in seasons, don't we? 15 isn't the same as 25, and 25 isn't the same as 70. You had seasons of life with certain people, now that season is over, and you've probably got new people. Life is in cycles. So how do we navigate our way through the cycles? Now, he gives us two ways. One's poor, one's stunning. And the first one doesn't work, and he tries it. And I love that he tries it, because we don't have to. But check it out, and uh, if we can get the PowerPoint up, we should see in chapter 2, this kingly figure, chapter 2, verse 4, he tries it out. He goes, all right, the first mentality to navigate our way through the cycles is a gain mentality. I'm going to try and move forward. Even though creation is set up in this, in this cycle, even though God set up the world to be in seasons and cycles, I'll try to blow it all apart and go with the gain mentality. And the word gain that we saw in verse 3, and it appears throughout the book, is, is the word Yitron, in Hebrew, Yitron. And we get this as capitalists in a Western capitalist society, but it's talking about not just filling to the brim, but overflowing, like a surplus. That's the kind of gain that he's talking about. Where you go, I don't just want the limit, I want to go over the limit. I I want to store up and have extra for a rainy day. I want more and more and more and more. I'm going to try it. So if anybody knows, it's got to be this old king who had everything. And check out what he tries out. Let's go through the cycles with a gain mentality. Verse 4 in chapter 2. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself. Houses. Wow. And planted vineyards. Nice. I'll never get a house on the northern beaches. Perfect. Five. I made gardens and parks. You try making a park. That's huge. Planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. He has an orchard. He never has to go to Woolies again. Verse 6. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Verse 7. I bought male and female servants and had other servants who were born in my house. And he's got help doesn't have to lift a finger. Beautiful. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He's got wealth. Verse 8. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Man, you think you're loaded. You try doing that. I acquired male and female singers and a harem. We presume these are of the opposite sex as well. The delight of a man's heart. Love this next one. Give this next one a shot. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Talk about gain. I got there. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Even better. Verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for my toil. Verse 11. Oh, yet. Yet when I surveyed, surveyed all my hands had done. And what I had toiled to achieve. Everything was Havel. Chasing after the wind. And nothing was gained under the sun. Well, say, what's that last one again? What are you trying to gain? He goes, and nothing was gained under the sun. Try the gain mentality. Give it a shot. When you're at uni, things will be better once I get my job. 
when you're in your job, things will be better when I get my mortgage. When you get your mortgage, life will be better without a mortgage. Life will be better when I'm married. We're married, life will be better with kids. With our kids, life will be easier if our kids moved out immediately. <laughs> if we just had a little bit more, maybe an investment property, whatever, you can keep going. Try the game mentality. See how it goes. Against creation since the beginning of the world. See how you go. And if he tried it, and he gained more than all of us ever did, and he came up trumps, maybe there's another way. In fact, I hope there's another way. Because he sounds just as weary. So what's his other way? Let's hit some positivity for the first time tonight. Thank goodness. All right, can we switch away from the game mentality? Chapter 2, verse 24 should come up on the slide. He goes, all right, what about this? Because a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Okay. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, verse 25. For without him, uh who can eat or find enjoyment? God's the great gift giver, isn't he? And here we go. To the person who pleases him, God gives. Gifts, wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up, i.e. gain, wealth to just hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is Havel, a chasing after the wind. Now, it's very subtle, but this theme will come up. What if the game mentality doesn't work in our cycles and seasons? But what if a gift mentality does? Where everything that we enjoy comes from the hand of God and he gives it to us. And that word gift presumes it's undeserved, doesn't it? When I was 18, uh, I was still playing golf down in Maroubra and my mum was very kind. And she goes, Damo, I want to get you a great 18th present. You've got some dodgy set of golf clubs. I want to get you a new set. I went, Mom, the ones I want are like a 1000 bucks." And she goes, let's go shopping for them. And we went shopping for two weeks to find the right set of clubs. And seriously, I think she spent just over a 1000 bucks. Pretty generous mum. On the 30th of November, she had this little present in the corner, wrapped up. I unwrapped it. I love how she wrapped it. It's seriously blatantly golf clubs. Anyway, <laughs> we opened it and I was like, Mom, thanks. And I was pumped. I really was pumped. A thousand bucks spent on me for my 18th birthday. Single mum. What a weapon. Seriously, beautiful, beautiful. Gave her a big hug, kiss. I was pumped. But interestingly enough, interestingly enough, six months later, my pop picked me up. Um, pop picked me up from school and he goes, <laughs> and he gave me something just out of the blue. And I don't know how he knew this, but I loved X-Men at the time. And I loved this one character, Wolverine, because he was really hairy and that was my, like, my journey and where I was heading. And uh, I really identified with him. And, and I love video games. And, and on my console I had, he got me the brand new Wolverine game. It was 100 bucks. And I, I didn't have 100 bucks. I was poor, didn't have a cent. And, um, and $100 back then in the 90s was like $4,000 today because inflation's bad. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when I unwrapped it, I went, Pop, are you serious? He goes, yeah, yeah, take it, take it, it's a gift. I went, well, what did I do? And he goes, nothing. I went, well, is it, my, is it a birthday present for before? And he goes, no. I go, maybe for the future? And he goes, no. Early Christmas present? He goes, no. I went, what's it for? And he goes, nothing. I just wanted to give you a gift. I went, but I did nothing to deserve it. He goes, yeah, I know. And I went, woohoo, yeah. And it's very interesting. I was more pumped about this $100 gift from my pop than I was this $1,000 set of gold clubs from my mum. Why? 
See, on my birthday, I thought I deserved a gift. I expected it. But my pop's random present to me was undeserved. And I was more joyful. What if Kehelet says that's how we're designed to live our lives in the cycles? That we get all these gifts from God that we did nothing to deserve. That rather than us trying to be capitalists and owners of our places, he goes, hey, you're a tenant in my land. And enjoy it while you can because it's mine. Let's go super practical. Uh, you need to watch where I'm standing. This is crucial. Can I tell you about my, my Thursday that I had a couple of days ago? I'll tell you about my Thursday. Um, I woke up at, at 6.30 and uh, that sucked. That sucked. I really wanted to sleep until 7. I had to wake up at 6.30. I had to get to school by like 7.30. And I was like, far out. And um, look, I, I woke up and I woke up in my two-bedroom apartment in Collaroy. And look, I, I'm 36. I'm 36 I, and I'm in a two-bedroom apartment still. Like, see, I should have a house by now, right? I, I need to grow up and have a house. And it, not, my two-bedroom apartment, it's a shoebox. It's so small. It's got no space. I can fit one couch in. That's it. All right? Terrible. I should, it should have more by this stage. Um, but I wake up and I go have a quiet time. I've got my Bible here. And I hate reading, man. I'm, I'm a terrible reader. I wish, like, they could just put the Bible into, like, a movie that's legit. Um, but they don't. Because um, it always turns out tacky. I don't know. And... Uh, but I read it, and I do my quiet time, but I find it hard to read it. And the Bible's huge. I don't know where to start my quiet times. And I do it, and I tick a pretty good box, and you know me, I've got to type now. And um, I, have to go to my, I have to commute to my job. I'm a school chaplain up at Barker College. It's to Hornsby. I have to commute 45 minutes a day. Are you serious? Are you serious? And I, I drive up there. There's people trying to like get in front of me, snake my spots. I was like, that's my space, right? That's my space. I gain that space. That's mine. Uh, I, I get to work, and um, I'm really, I'm really surprised as these Year Seven students walk past. And I'm, I, you know, you want to be respected as a school chaplain. And one of them um, notices my hair is out and my beard is is grown, and um, he called me homeless Jesus. <laughs> I went, okay, I hope that's the end of that. It wasn't. His second mate came around, and he goes, "Quick, somebody give that guy a dollar." <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And then another kid came around, and I'm pretty tight with this kid. And he goes, guys, guys, like, stop it. And I went, finally, some respect. And he goes, don't give him money, give him food. It'll, <laughs> he'll just spend it on drugs. Like, <laughs> and I'm always trying to gain respect as a chaplain and I, with these kids, and they don't respect me after all my time there. It's ridiculous. Um, I go to work and then I finish my day and I want to go for a surf at Northy and, um, and I go for a surf at Northy at four o'clock, late one, and um, I, I get to Northy and I'm bummed, it's crowded, Northy is crowded and I'm out there and these people are seriously taking my waves, they take, seriously, like they drop in, they snake and I didn't, I didn't think I gained much from that session. Uh, I go home, I have some dinner, uh, I go to the, to the gym with, with Elliot Leyland, some of you know him. Um, that's a bit awkward. I think I carry that guy a little bit. I, uh, <laughs> and I um, have to set up a program for him to get fit. And, uh, yeah. and, and here's the other thing. Like, uh, I'm not lifting well. Um, you know, in my peak, I, I think I was lifting a lot more. I'm probably like 20% down. I didn't gain much. I've, I've reverted, actually, because, um, yeah, my back's not great. and oh, It's a bit of a bum, not gaining much. Uh, I, go, I go, go home. I've got to plan this sermon for Sunday at church. And Narrabeen Baps, like, come on, like, what's going to happen at church this week? It'll be same old, same old, won't it? We're probably going to hear a sermon, yeah. I'll uh, we'll probably hear the Bible, standard. Uh, sing a song, a couple of songs, nice. 
And yeah, we gather together and yeah, they try think things differently every now and then, but really it's always the same. And um, and I, I go to bed that night and, and I'm a single bloke. I'm a single bloke. And I, I go to bed like, you know, just wondering like, what's going on? Seriously. Like, and as my kid said, another year seven kid, when he asked how old I was and I said, I'm 36. He goes, are you okay? <laughs> I went, yeah, why? And he goes, you're nearly dead. <laughs> And I reflect on this, that I haven't gained much. I haven't gained a wife. And I go to bed thinking about the season, how I haven't gained much. Uh, yeah, not super thankful, pretty discontent, ready to wake up for the drudgery the next morning, and uh, I'm a little bit weary. Can I tell you about my Thursday? Man, Thursday morning, the alarm goes off at 6.30. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've been waking up at 6. I got a little sleep in. It wasn't bad. Um, and and uh, I woke up in my two-bedroom apartment in Collaroy. Did I tell you I actually own that? And um, I don't own it because I'm loaded. I actually only own it because I got really lucky, like about oh, five or six years ago when the market was still low. And seriously, it was, it was just a gift that the landlord, I was renting my apartment, the landlord just knocked on my door. I joked that I'd buy it off him. And he goes, sweet, no real estate agent. <gasps> what a gift. And I own an apartment on the northern beaches. I, I live across the road. It's not, it's not a big apartment, but I live across the road from the beach. And um, uh, I've got pubs and I've got neighbours around me. It's a wonderful place to live, actually. Um, I wake up and I do my quiet time. I've got my Bible there. Look, I'm not a great reader. I've got to tell you, not a great reader. But it just amazes me that like God would actually reveal himself to me in his word. And I'm holding something that, like, this is in my own language, not Hebrew or Greek. I can actually read it and access it. Do you know for millennia people couldn't? Far out. That's so good. And um, blood was spilled to get this thing on my hands. And I'm just so, just so, what a, what a gift that, that, that God did that. And these people before me did that. Uh, I, I got a commute to work. It's 45 minutes. Man, I used to live in Croydon. It used to take me an hour and a half to get to Northern Beaches. 45 is awesome. And it's against traffic. And I listen to podcasts and I'm learning. Or sometimes I listen to music and I just de-stress before I have to switch on my extrovert self with the kiddies up at school. Um, I, I have work and, you know what, work, dang. Uh, but, you know what, I just had three weeks holiday because I'm a teacher. <laughs> three weeks. Some schools only get two. What a gift. And here's the thing. I'm a teacher, which means I'm only ever five weeks away from a holiday. <laughs> what a gift. And I don't, the only reason I get it, it's not because we work harder. It's not. Everybody works hard. I just get lucky that my clients leave for a certain time of the year. <laughs> and that's just a gift, isn't it? Wonderful. I, I get to the beach at four o'clock. That's pretty early. And the school which I work at, they give me, if you've got a free period, you're allowed to just go home. What a gift that my school does that. I go to Northie and I'm amazed that uh, some people are just taking these waves and they're and I used to think, oh, they're my waves. But then I realised that, like, due to low pressure systems and wind, that these waves have come for thousands of kilometres. And I did nothing to deserve them. What a gift that somebody else before me actually invented the concept of surfing. I wouldn't have thought of that myself. And shaped a board for me that's in a cool shape and I can enjoy it. And I could do it for a while. And it's never the same twice. What a gift. Stay fit. Plenty of endorphins. I um, go home, have dinner, and I have to go to the gym. I go to, I go to the gym with Elliot Leyland. And I like going with Elliot because he keeps me accountable. Um, and it's really nice. And I'll just go to the gym more when other people are around. And I have to do a program for him because he's kind of new to the gym again. He's coming back. But I like seeing other people get fitter and healthier. And um, he's more joyful as a result. 
I'm not lifting as much as I used to, I've got to tell you. I'm probably about 20% down. But that's okay, because you know what? When I was 28, my back went completely. I was on the ground for six months. I couldn't sit, stand, walk, or lie down. And now I'm in the gym again. Are you serious? I get to lift again. It's just nice to be in there and do some exercise. I'm going to make the most of it while I can. What a gift that my back actually happened to heal. Because it doesn't necessarily have to. Uh, I go home, and I have to write this sermon for Sunday uh, at Narrabeen Baptist Church, where we're sitting right now. And it amazes me that uh, we have not just one pastor, but we've got a few. Do you know what a gift that is, to have a few pastors for different congregations and different ages? What a gift that is. And, and these people on staff, they don't, they don't just do 40-hour weeks for us. They're, they're punching out 60, 70-hour weeks all the time. What a gift they are to us. Um, we actually gather in a building, and somebody had the foresight to plan a church here and build something permanent, and we get to enjoy it. And we're in Australia. So I've got, I've, got, I've got missionary friends who still can't gather together without being totally anxious of somebody walking in on them. Wow, what a gift it is to come to church. People actually, there's no music team that gets paid. These guys volunteer. Do you know how nice, do you know how many volunteers that we have here? It's a wonderful, wonderful church to be a part of. But I go to bed and I remember that I'm single. And I remember the gift of the freedom that I have right now in my life. And I'm sure married people enjoy the gifts that they have, but singleness is a gift too. And I have regrets. But I also am grateful for the gift of the people who come before me, I've been in relationships with, who have helped me out and sharpened me, uh, made me more self-aware, less selfish, hopefully a better person, better man, better contributor to society and his kingdom. And as I, as I go off to sleep, I'm, I'm thankful for all the, God, all the gifts that God's given me. And I go to sleep joyful and content, looking forward to the gifts I will receive tomorrow. Would you see a difference there? Same day. In the cycles. One gain and futile. Gain nothing. And one just enjoying the gifts. To finish... Some of you probably think, is this just positive psychology? Or that's good for a day, but what if I'm in a horrid season? You just talked about seasons, didn't you, Damo? What if I'm in a horrid one? And you sound a bit happy-clappy to me. Well, I want to finish with this story of a friend that I used to work with. And uh, her and her husband, they hadn't been able to conceive children. They went through the IVF process. Uh, and they went three times without success. And that's a lot of money, by the way. But the fourth time they got pregnant and was so happy for her. She actually quit her job because she wanted to give that spot up for another, another person to come into her job and not take it or hog it for her maternity leave. Beautiful, beautiful character. But at 22 weeks in her pregnancy, she went into labour. And she gave birth to her son, Timothy. And that son of hers lived for half an hour. At the funeral, she asked me to sing. I didn't want to sing. I don't have a great voice. She goes, can you just do it? I'm not sure. I didn't know what she was going to say or how she was going to say it. But I remember sitting in the front row, looking up into the lectern, watching her come up 
and hug her husband. I can still remember her red curly hair sitting in her shoulder while her arm wrapped around her husband white knuckled in his black jacket, holding on tight. No many tears, many pauses. She spoke about loss and pain and anger at God. And she spoke about the wonderful gifts that she's received. She said that never in her life has she experienced the gift of community that she has. She has never felt more loved by so many people. And she was grateful to God for that. She said she was so grateful to God for the hope that she would see her son again one day. There is a hope and a future in the kingdom of God. (laughs) She said she loved that she could be angry towards God and cry out to him. And that it was a gift that he was a God who could take it. It was a gift that she worshipped a God who became human and understood pain and loss himself. And lastly, she praised God that he made life in seasons and cycles, for she knew that this season wasn't forever. Wow. I don't know if I can do that. Whatever season you're in, whatever age you are or stage of life, whatever day it is, we have a choice in how to live, Kehelet says. Gift, not gain. We know the people who strive after gain and they become entitled, notice what they don't have, and negative and are tough to be around. But the gift people that we know are always thankful and are always joyful. Whatever season that you're in, may you enjoy the gifts God's given you. It doesn't mean we see the rubbish. It just means we're also looking for the gift. And maybe we'll have a little bit more time. We'll be a little less busy, a little less weary, and a little more joyful.